So what would you do if you died suddenly and then you were brought back to life? I only ask that because in my, one of my memory verses for last year in Romans chapter 6 Paul writes, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Life is unquestionably Fragile, we need only watch the news to hear of the untimely deaths of famous people. But imagine DeMar Hamlin, who in front of a whole stadium, in front of the television screens of thousands and thousands, perhaps millions of people in our country and our world, suddenly died. 24 years old, at the peak of his profession, makes a tackle, we might say was rather run over by the receiver, and then fell to the turf, and his heart stopped beating. The doctors call it commotio cordis, that there's a point in the rhythm of your heart where a sudden blow to your chest at that very spot might make your heart stop. This isn't the first time I've heard of it. When I was a pastor in Austin, a young man in our church was a black belt in karate. And he was in a match, and he was fighting hard against his opponent when a kick to his chest ended his life. There was no defibrillator. The CPR did not save him. And I was called upon to preside over the funeral of a young man whose heart just stopped. This was some 27 or 28 years ago. But if you were DeMar Hamlin and you suddenly died, and then you came back to life, what would you do? As the poet Mary Oliver asks it, so tell me, what is it that you are planning to do with your one wild life? What will you do with your one wild and beautiful and wonderful life? I only ask because in the scriptures there are stories like Lazarus who has died and then came back to life, like uh, the widow of Nain's son and a number of others who after they died were fortunate to have Jesus right there. We've been thinking together about the one thing in life that really matters. And the Apostle Paul said, I am pursuing 
this one thing, to know Christ, to follow Christ, to be found in Christ, to gain Christ. But he speaks about it earlier in that chapter in Philippians 3 in terms of debits and credits. And he says, what were to my gain, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. On that road to Damascus, when Paul was blinded by that dazzling light, he lost the life that he had once lived and exchanged it for a brand new life. And he never went back to persecuting Christians again because Jesus gave him a new life. That offer is extended to others. It was only in recent weeks that I found another this one thing in the Scripture that elucidates, illuminates our understanding of pursuing one thing in life. Would you open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 27? Listen for the words, one thing, as I read to you. And note the remarkable resemblance between this man and the Apostle Paul. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word today? Mark 10, verse 17. And hear the word of the Lord together. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, one thing. You lack. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, well, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. This is the word of the Lord. 
Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight and make the book live to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You ever notice the resemblance between the rich young ruler and the Apostle Paul? In my research for this sermon, I discovered some scholars who think the rich young ruler was the Apostle Paul. I'm not inclined to agree because I think somebody somewhere would have told us that before scholars in the 21st century. I'm always skeptical when we figure out something that 2,000 years of Christians never figured out. But I will say this. They look a lot alike. In fact, if you look at their stories, they're both valedictorians in their class. They're brilliant. They have such an understanding of Scripture from that group of people called the Pharisees. They were people who lived by the book. This rich young ruler, we should note, was wealthy, uh, he was, all three of the Gospels who tell his story tell us he was wealthy. It's Matthew who tells us in chapter 19 that he was young. And it's Luke who tells us he was a ruler. But whatever he was, he was at the top of his class, as was the Apostle Paul. Remember this in Philippians 3 as Paul looks back at his life. If you ever wonder when he says, forgetting what is behind, what he's talking about. Well, if you just go to what's before that, you'll find out what he was talking about in chapter 3 when he says in verse 3, um, I don't hold on to my achievements, my credentials, my accomplishments. In fact, whatever things were gained to me, I now consider loss. And when he looks back, he says, if anyone thinks they have reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more, he said. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. You see the exchange that the Apostle Paul describes, and you understand what I mean when I say Paul didn't just repent of his sinfulness, but he repented of his self-righteousness. He had to give up the idea that he had had for a lifetime that he could save himself. And it strikes me that the rich young ruler had a similar problem because when he asked Jesus, how do I gain eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. And he lists the six of the Ten Commandments, which, by the way, are still binding. And he says, these are the commandments that have to do with your relationships with people the rich young ruler says, since I was a boy, I've kept these commandments. And then Jesus says, looking at him and loving him, well then, you just need to sell all your stuff. Give it to the poor. Give the money to the poor, 
and come and follow me. Why in the world did Jesus say that to him? Well, because Jesus loved him. And he knew that for that man, the one thing in life was all of his possessions. He didn't lack anything, but he did lack trust in God and the thought that all of the possessions he had accumulated, he would have to give away in order to follow Jesus was just more than he could take. And he went away sad. And I note, did you note, that Jesus did not chase him down the street and say, let's renegotiate. Because whoever you are, you can't have anything in your life that is more important to you than Christ. For the Apostle Paul, it was keeping the law as a Pharisee. That was his one thing until he met Jesus. And then, even though he still did good things, he didn't trust in them to save him. So I wonder if there's anything in your life or my life that is more important to us than God. Could it be that some of us feel like that for others it took the blood of Jesus to forgive, but for us, we've just done a pretty good job in life, and God would be fortunate to have somebody like us on his team. Well, that's the way the Apostle Paul felt. I think it's the way the rich young ruler felt. And just notice just a couple truths this morning. First of all, we give up our own efforts at self-salvation to gain Christ, who is our Savior. It's the best trade in all the world to give up our credentials in order to gain Christ. And the thing about the rich young ruler, if we could just look at, he had everything everybody in that world and our world wants. He had wealth, and you don't need me to tell you how important that is to us in our world. He comes to Jesus with this amazing desire. How do we know? He runs up to Jesus, which would have been a very undignified thing for a ruler of the Jews to do. And he kneels at Jesus' feet. There's a great deal of desire there. And in his life, he's got wealth. He's got youth. Tell me we don't idolize youth in our how hard do we work to look younger than we are? Wealth and youth, and he also had power. He was a ruler among his people. He had it all, but he knew there was something he was missing, and so he came to Jesus, and Tim Keller says, of course he was missing something because anyone who counts on what they're doing to get eternal life will find in that an insecurity, a doubt. Something is missing, just like for the Apostle Paul, who's at the pinnacle of his game, keeping the law. He was really good at keeping the law, as was this rich young ruler, and yet it was not enough. Their own goodness could not save them. And believe me when I say, if theirs couldn't, mine can't. My goodness can't save me. Your goodness can't save you. This is why we need Christ. But in order to receive Christ, we have to forget what is behind. We have to let go of the thing in life that is most important to us. Or again, as Tim Keller said, if you want God to be your Savior, you have to replace what you're already looking to as Savior. And I take it for the rich young ruler, it was his wealth. 
Jesus doesn't make everybody give up their wealth. Wealth is not inherently evil. The love of it is the root of all evil. The wealth itself is not. And I, I would say to you what John Wesley said, make all the money you can. Save all the money you can. Give all the money you can. But don't give your heart away to wealth. It is as futile a pursuit as anything else you could imagine in this life. Notice the demand that Jesus places on him. It's there in verse 21. He says, yeah, you just got to just got to give that up so that you can have me. What does Paul say? Forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead. I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. One thing I do, I pursue Christ. It was Jim Elliott who said, he is not a fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose, that should say. He is not a fool. Jim Elliott, the missionary martyr with the Indians in Ecuador who gave up what he could not keep, his life, to gain what he could not lose. That's what he said to people when they said, don't go and risk your life as a missionary. And here, here's the truth. There's the desire and there's the demand and then there's the decision. And we hear Paul on the one hand saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. And we hear the rich young ruler on the other hand saying, I have decided to keep my stuff. And I was wondering what it is that keeps you and me from being full-fledged followers of Christ today. We give up our efforts to save ourselves, and then we gain Christ himself by faith. I was looking this weekend at the response. I haven't had a whole lot of time to think about it, but I thought, I wonder, I wonder what DeMar Hamlin is saying now that he's been brought back to life. And I was particularly interested in what the quarterback of the Buffalo Bills, his football team, Josh Allen, said about that. He said, you know, I've not been the most religious follower of Jesus on this team. But he said, this has brought a spiritual awakening in my life. He said, I find myself walking around in the locker room these days saying, God is real. God is real. The experience of seeing his teammate die on the field and come back to life. Somebody was telling me about it this weekend, and they said, well, it doesn't look like he's going to get to play in the, in the playoffs. And I thought, <laughs> so what? I mean, I don't know. I know knowing DeMar, he probably wants to play football again, and he probably will. But I would just say this. If he never plays another down, don't you think he'll wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, wow, I am alive. I was dead, but now I'm alive. The, the, the playwright Eugene O'Neill wrote a play years ago called Lazarus Laughed. And at the end of the play, he tells about Lazarus when Jesus is talking to him after he's been raised to life and they're sitting around the dinner table. And Eugene O'Neill says, Lazarus laughed like a man 
who had been dead but was now alive. And I was thinking, you and I, Paul says to the Ephesians, but you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. But God raised you to life. How shall we live? We who used to be dead and now are alive. What would you do if you died and somebody brought you back to life? What are you planning to do with your one wild and precious life? Give it to God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the life you've given us and the chance to live today. Lord, I pray that we will not go away sad today like a rich young ruler clinging to possessions that we cannot keep. I pray that we will not trust in our own righteousness today. We say with Augustus Toplady, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. Naked come to you for dress. Foul we to the fountain fly. Wash us, Savior, or we die. In Jesus' name, amen.